It is so great to be with you guys this morning. And how many of you were, um, were here for, for the Vacation Bible School? All right, well, I'm going to see if you guys picked up on what I was teaching the kids um, about missions. I'm, I'm a missionary in Guatemala, and, and my family's from here in, in Garland, and so it's really good to be back with um, the family here in Fort Scott. Um, but if you were here at the Vacation Bible School, who can tell me what is it that Guatemala needs more than anything else? That's right. Guatemala needs Jesus, and that's where we're, we're um, serving the Lord. We are serving there in Guatemala, helping people know about Jesus. And if you guys look over here, you can see that um, ginormous pyramid that is over there. The um, funds that the kids raised and, and the workers and different people who donated, thank you so much for helping us to reach Guatemala with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage each of you that Fort Scott needs Jesus. And what you guys are doing here of um, coming and being part of a body of Christ and lifting up the name of Jesus, and then taking that out into your community. You guys have an opportunity every day to reach this town, this state, and this nation, and this world with Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. So thank you, um, Community Christian, Pastor Kevin, um, uh, Pastor Paul, everybody who was involved in the um, VBS for um, inviting us, for letting us be part of it. We really enjoyed it. Our kids were having a ball, and um, it was just a wonderful time. So we were very, very um, excited to be here with you guys. So thank you again. Um, I want to turn our hearts toward um, communion this morning. I want to share just a, a few thoughts. Um, when I think about our Lord's table, I think that there were two sides to that table. There was the side of Jesus and there was the side of the disciples. And if you, if you will with me, imagine the Last Supper. Jesus was there and, and his disciples, they were on a high from just a few days before they had come in the triumphal entry. They they walked through the gates of Jerusalem with Jesus on a donkey, and the people were cheering. They were so excited. They could see that something great was about to happen. They were a little confused about it, but they were excited. And, and they were expecting a miraculous victory, probably over the Roman government. They had two swords among the 12 of them, and they, they were expecting a miraculous victory. And they were also jostling one with another to, to see who was going to be at the right hand of the coming king. And then there was the other side of the table with Jesus. And he was anticipating the cross. He was looking forward to the resurrection. And he had three lessons that he urgently wanted to teach his disciples. Those lessons were lessons of humility, of being a servant one to another. He, he was about to wash their feet. He was giving them an example and he was teaching them the power of his sacrifice. And we can look and we can see that um, this, this meal that they were having, it was a remembrance of the Passover in Exodus, of where the death angel had passed over the houses that were marked with blood. And the Egyptian households did not have that blood mark. And so the firstborn of each of those households was, was killed. But in the houses that were marked with blood of the lamb, they were passed over. That's where we get the name Passover. Now Jesus was, he was celebrating that Passover, but he was declaring that what that was representing was happening right then. We can look and see that on the night that our Lord was betrayed, that he was about to be that great sacrifice on the cross. And you know, each one of us can have our hearts and our lives marked with the blood of Christ, with the Lamb of God. And we can have the judgment of death pass over us when we are following and living a life that is marked by the blood of Christ. 
In Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. What Jesus did on the cross is what we remember when we take communion together. Now, if we read from 1 Corinthians 11, it says that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So please, as as you're coming to get the cup, keep in mind of the blood mark that is on our lives. The servanthood that we can live serving one another and honoring God. And that as we take this meal in remembrance of what Jesus did, that we are doing this to honor and glorify him and to remember what he did in the sacrifice on the cross. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. Thank you for the stripes that he bore for our healing. Thank you for the blood that he shed for our deliverance so that we can be in relationship with God and not be under the judgment of death. As we come together, Lord, we we walk in unity and we partake of these elements representing what you have done in our lives. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love those kids. We thank you, who uh, all of you who were volunteering this week in Vacation Bible School. The Word of God was planted in these kids' hearts. And so it would be good for you and I in these days ahead to be praying that that seed that has been planted, that it would grow, that it would produce a harvest in these kids' lives, and maybe some moms and dads as well. I do have one story for you that I thought was rather funny. On Wednesday, we were studying Josiah in our Vacation Bible School lesson. You may remember that Josiah was the boy king over Judah. Anybody remember how old Josiah was when he became king over Judah? I see, I see several people going like this. You're right. Eight years old, uh, he was the king over the entire country. Joyce Cowan was teaching the lesson that day, and she asked if there were any eight-year-olds in the class. We were fourth and fifth grade uh, class there listening to the lesson. There was one eight-year-old boy in the class. I think most of the others were, were nine years old or, or ten. Uh, she asked this one eight-year-old boy to stand up, and he did, and she's making the point to the rest of the class and to the boy himself that this is how old Josiah was when he was king over Judah. And, and it just it seemed to really make a point to each of the kids. They were like, oh my, you know, eight years old, leading an entire country. And Joyce asked this young man, uh, what would you do? What would be the first thing you would do if you were king or president over your country? 
And the boy thought for a moment. I, th- I thought he was just going to be dumbfounded and not be able to answer the question. But he, he surprised me. He came back with an answer that was just amazing. He said, I would, I would make sure that we had a chocolate fountain and everybody could have funnel cakes. I tell you what, I'm not going to tell you his name because it may start a write-in candidate for this fall. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was really good. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 14 today. If you're new this morning to our church, we have been making our way through the book of Acts since the first of the year. And the book of Acts, in some of your Bibles, may in fact have the title... The Acts of the Apostles. And that's really what this book is all about. It's giving to us the story of the New Testament church in its early days. And it's revealing for us the acts or the events in the lives of the early church leaders. And chapter 13 and 14 record for us the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. I have a map for you of this particular journey. And you can see over here on the right of this map, uh, in the red, uh, they begin their journey from Antioch. And they make their way around. And and Antioch is actually where they end back up. So they have a starting point and an ending point that are the same place. The Antioch church has sent Paul and Barnabas on this journey particular missionary journey. They first make their way across the sea to the island of Cyprus. They spend some time there. They go across the island and, uh, and then they make their way up to the mainland of Asia Minor and, and make their way around uh, to different cities. And what is happening on this missionary journey is they are preaching the gospel of Jesus. And people are hearing the gospel, and they are responding to Christ. They are accepting Jesus as Savior. And Paul and Barnabas, then, are there teaching them uh, the ways of, of being a disciple of Christ. But then there comes a point in each place where the Jews, who have not responded to the gospel message, become angry and jealous and, and very upset. And so they start a movement to persecute Paul and Barnabas. And when that persecution starts, then Paul and Barnabas pick up their pieces and they go then to the next city and it starts all over again. They preach Christ, people come to Christ, persecution starts, they go to the next city. Once they reach their, their furthermost point on this particular missionary journey, which is Derby, they then turn around and they retrace their steps And they do more teaching. They reconnect with those disciples that they have made on their first stop there. And they teach them about Christ. And then they make their way eventually back to Antioch. And I'm I'm thinking from what I can uh, figure just by those little measuring uh, sticks that they give you on these maps. You'll find one probably in your Bible that, you know, this... This far is so many miles. And I figured they must have traveled in in excess of 1,500 miles on this first missionary journey. This was the first of three 
missionary journeys that Paul made. And as I said, many of you in the back of your Bibles will find a map that has those missionary journeys for you. Those are points of interest to me. My intention today is to cover chapter 14 of Acts, verses 8 through 28. In this text, we get an amazing view of God. In verses 8 to 10, he has the power to heal. I would like for you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, chapter 14 of Acts, beginning with verse 8, reading through verse 10. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped up and began to walk. Now, I know a couple of Sundays ago, Dusty, in his preaching, spent some time talking to you about an overview of the miracles that we see in the book of Acts. And this is one of those miracles. Certainly, it's not the first time that we see a lame man being healed and made well to walk again. Jesus healed a lame man in John chapter 5. Also, you may remember in Mark chapter 2, there were four men who had a friend that was paralyzed. They picked the, the... The stretcher up, the man was on the stretcher, they took him to Jesus, they went up on the roof, they dug a hole in the roof, they let their friend down on the stretcher before Jesus, and Jesus healed that man of his paralysis. Then, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John healed a man who had been lame from the day of his birth. He had never walked, but that day, through the power of God, he picked up his mat and he walked, and he was leaping, and he was praising God. And this same kind of miracle happens here in Acts chapter 14. I want to say this. Our God has the power to heal. Do you believe that? I hope you do. This is not just a truth from long ago. This is the truth still for today. God is still in the business of working miracles. John Andrade is one of uh, one from our own church congregation who has that kind of a testimony. Maybe you were here several Sundays ago before his surgery was to happen that, that Friday. He came forward on a Sunday morning and he could hardly get down the aisle. He was that immobile. And he was walking with a cane and you could just see the pain on his face. His whole body was, was just wretched with pain. And uh, he, it was almost more than what he could endure. And we prayed for him. We prayed for God's healing to be given to him. Sometimes God heals through doctors and medicine and surgery. The surgery happened on that Friday... And if you've seen John this week, he was driving a van for our vacation Bible school, picking kids up, taking them home. The pain is gone from his face. What's replaced the pain is a smile that's from ear to ear. There is no more pain in his body that he was experiencing before. The cane he's thrown away. He doesn't need it anymore. He is praising God for the miracle that has happened for him through surgery. And we praise the Lord with him. 
I have a preacher friend in Joplin. His name is Jay St. Clair. He's been the youth minister and the associate minister at the College Heights Christian Church there for a number of years. Just recently, he made a a change in his career. He's taken a, a, a mission there in Joplin for homeless people, and he's working with them. He's still going to the College Heights Church, but word came to us several months ago, came to me through my mom, that Jay had had prostate cancer. And he went to M.D. Anderson in Houston while the church went to the prayer closet in his behalf. And for several months, he went through cancer treatments over over that period of time. And my mom here just a few weeks ago was telling me that Jay was absolutely running around the the foyer of their church here a couple of weeks ago and he was leaping and he was shouting and he was saying, I'm cancer free! I'm cancer free! (laughs) God is still in the business of doing miracles. Now sometimes, I know, He doesn't grant that miracle here that we're asking for, oftentimes in those cases, He gives to us the greatest miracle of all and He brings us into His eternal kingdom and He gives to us a brand new body that has no more aches or pains to it. So whichever decision God chooses for us, He is a God who is still in the business of doing miracles. He has the power to heal. Secondly, from this text, He is a living God. Chapter 14, verses 11 through 15. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began, they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowd. But when the apostles... Barnabas and Paul heard of it. They tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a what? To a living God. Our God is a living God. God. And that insinuates to me that there are some gods that are not living. Think about that. There are, in fact, lots of gods in this world that are not living. If you've read in the Old Testament much at all, you know that one of the problems that Israel had was that they would often fall into idol worship. They would begin to worship gods that were not Living. Psalms 135 verses 15 through 17 says, The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath at all 
in their mouths. There are gods that do not have life to them. Do we have gods like that today that we worship? In India, I've seen those kinds of gods all over the place. 33 million gods that they worship in India. The monkey god, the elephant god, the snake. I mean, the list goes on and on of the gods that they worship in that land. They are dead gods. They are gods that cannot help when you call upon them. But the truth is, we have our own gods in America, don't we? The money god, the god of sports, the god of entertainment, the god called self, and the list could go on and on. There is only one God who is alive and He can hear our prayers and He knows our thoughts and He can know what our needs are and He can help us with those needs. This is the same God who can forgive us of our sins. He can bear our burdens. He loves us with an incredible love. He is the God of all gods. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the King above every other king king. He is the living God. And He is the one whom we should be worshiping. He is the one whom we should be dedicating our life to. He is the living God. And thirdly, from this chapter in Acts, He is the creator of all things. That's how verse 15 finishes up, uh, speaking about this living God. It says, Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Every creature is made by His hands. Every plant, every tree, the different grasses, the flowers, the fruits. He is able to make the soil such that it can produce food for us to eat. He is an amazing creator God who is able to create this whole world that we have, that we are able to enjoy. He created it from absolutely nothing. He spoke it into existence. You know, if I'm going to create something, I have to have something to start with. If I'm going to create a table, I need some wood to start with. Not so with God. In reference to this world, when He created it, He didn't have anything to start with. And yet, He spoke it all into existence. The heavens, the sun the moon, the stars, and His greatest creation was you and me. I mean, as awesome as what the other creation is, the heavens and the the universes and the galaxies and all of that, as awesome as all that is, you are His masterpiece. (laughs) Did you know that you, if you're an adult that you have over 60,000 miles of blood vessels in your body? Did you know that? Over 60,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. And if you took all of those blood vessels and put them end to end, you tied them together, 
You could wrap the blood vessels that are in your body two and a half times around the earth. That's, that just blows my mind to even think about that. He is a master creator. He is an awesome creator. And each one of us are different from the other. There is no one else in the whole wide world who is exactly like you are. He has the power to heal. He is a living God. And He is the creator of all things. And fourthly in this chapter, He is a good God with good gifts to us. Chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. These good gifts are ours even though we don't deserve them. None of us deserve them. If we got what we really deserved, it would not be something that is good at all. We would get punishment for our sins. And yet God, in His goodness and His wonderful grace, He lavishes us with His good gifts. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. For He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He is a good God who gives to us good gifts. He gives to us air to breathe and food on our table. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not seeing anybody here today that, that, that looks like they're just absolutely starving to death. You know, and probably most of us know what our plans are. We have plans for lunch after the services today. We know what we're going to do. Right, he, he gives to us these good gifts. Most of us here today, I would assume, had more than one pair of shoes that we could choose from in, in what we were going to wear today. He gives to us good gifts. He lavishes these good gifts gifts upon us. He is a good God. And I hope that you and I are, one, are the one, like the one from Luke 17, who turned back to say thank you to him. You remember the story? Jesus met ten lepers and he healed them of their disease. And out of the ten, there was just one that turned back to give thanks to him. We need to be that one. We need to count our blessings one by one and be thankful to Him, knowing that every good and perfect gift given to us is from above. Amen? I mean, this whole chapter, as I, as I read it, and I'm, I'm thinking, God, what do you want me to do with this chapter by way of a sermon to to the folks at our church. And, and, and as I'm reading through chapter 14, it was like the Holy Spirit just opened my eyes to see this panoramic view of God that Paul has painted for us in this chapter. Actually, Luke. Luke's the one who wrote it. It's about Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. 
Fifthly, he is a God worth living for and dying for. Let me read to you verses 18 through 22. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch. Here's the persecution I was telling you about. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe, After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, if if we ever reach a point in our life that we think that we have it bad... Maybe something that we could do is to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and see what he's gone through and to know that he had, he, he endured. He endured. He did not quit. He never gave up. And let's have that be an encouragement to us. Yes, we go through the trials of life. We go through the fire. But let's not give up. Let's not quit. Let's not lose heart. Let me, let me read to you from 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul would not throw in the towel because he knew that God was a God worth living for. And he was a God worth dying for. Remember what he said in Philippians chapter 3? He said, for, or actually chapter 1, he said, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can we say that? Can we say that our life is here, here? Is, is it all about him? I want to challenge you parents, especially you parents that have young kids in your home still, I want to challenge you to show your children that God is a God worth living for. Because a lesson caught is much easier learned than a lesson taught. Your life speaks louder than your words. And so send a message to those young kids in your home that Christ is worth living for. May they see you living for Him. May that, that, that life of a Christian be defined through you. And by the way, did you notice in the text how Paul would not stop preaching the gospel? Even after they stoned him and, and left him for dead? The, the very thing that he, he got up from there and he went... to the next city and he began preaching the gospel and encouraging the church members and he went from city to city. He got to that 
point of Derby, where that was the furthermost point of his journey, and they turned around, they retraced their steps, they went back to each church, and they were connecting with the Christians, and they were encouraging them, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Let those words sink into your heart and mind. Hear the Apostle Paul say to you, through many tribulations you must enter into the kingdom of God. What's he saying there? He's simply saying, life's hard. It's going to be full of trials. Endure. He is a God worth living for, and he is a God worth dying for. Here's number six. He is a God in whom we can put our trust. He is a God in whom we can put our trust. Verse 23, the NIV reads this way. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Our God is one that can be trusted. He has never failed. He has never broken a promise. He has never forgotten us because he was weary. He has never taken his eyes off of us because he got distracted over something else that was going on. He can be trusted in any and every circumstance that we're in. It was a week ago Friday. Abby had had uh, called for help. She's got a baby coming in September, and she wanted some help to paint the baby's room. And so she called Cindy and I to come on that Friday to paint the room. So we, we made arrangements to do that. We went to her house. Well, before the painting ever starts, she said, you know, I've got a 1030 doctor appointment. Mom, I want you to go with me. And so guess who got to keep the baby? You know? And that was good. That was really good for me. I enjoyed that. Kenzie is uh, about to turn two, and so she's full of energy, and we had a really good time together. We went on a wagon ride. I pulled, she rode, and uh, we swang on the swing set, and we got on, on the lawnmower, and we rode around the block time and time again, and we just had all kinds of good times. So, uh, Abby and Cindy came home. Kenzie was worn out. I'd worn her out. I was worn out. But she got to take a nap. I had to start painting. Well, we're all painting, and Kenzie wakes up. So guess who gets to take care of Kenzie? Because she doesn't need to be in the middle of the paint. And uh, so I decided I would take her, and I would go over into Joplin and get my mom because she was going to come home with us for the weekend and spend... Uh, the weekend with us. I just go ahead and do that. She's going to eat supper with us there at Abby's. And uh, so I'm at her house. Kenzie's kind of running around and I'm getting her bags into the vehicle. And uh, the last thing I saw of Kenzie was uh, she's following my mom out into the garage. And I'm thinking, okay, my mom's got her. I take the bags out to the, to the vehicle and uh, I see the garage doors open. My mom kind of is there in the garage. And I said, now, you, you got your eyes on Kinsey, don't you? No. I, just 30 seconds and she was gone. <laughs> 
Now, she was just around the corner of the house. I mean, the first thing I did was look out, check the road, and make sure she wasn't there along the road. But just in 30 seconds, she was out of sight. We weren't quite sure where she was. We found her. You, I want to tell you, there is never a time in, in the history of mankind that God loses track of His children. Never a time that he gets so distracted with other things that he's not aware of what's going on in our life. Every detail he knows what's going on. And he cares about you. He will not. He will not let us down. He is a God who can be trusted one final point, His grace is sufficient. We're, we're out of time. I, w- I won't read that next passage to you just from verses 24 through 28. It just simply says, His grace is sufficient. That they commended, the church at Antioch commended Paul and Barnabas to go on this missionary trip. They commended them with the grace of God. And you know what? 1,500 miles later, they come back to Antioch and they are able to testify that God's grace has been with them every step of the way. And every, everything that was put in their pathway, every challenge, every obstacle, God's grace was there to help them. And the same will be true for you. Whatever you face in your life, whether it's an obstacle, whether it's a hardship, one of these tribulations that Paul has talked about, or whether it's a ministry that he wants you to do, his grace is there to help you. And it is sufficient. My question to you as we close is simply this. Will you trust him? Will you give your life to this amazing, amazing Let's pray together. You you are amazing. You are awesome. You are worthy of our praise. We love you. Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name.